As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Anyway, she goes to bed. I open up a box out of Barbara's. I light up. I call myself a cognac. Uh, and I watch the 14 fists of McCluskey. <laughs> What a picture. Yo, homie, that my briefcase? And start asking the right fucking questions. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special rum and rant podcast i am your host blake howard firstly oh my god thank you so much to the new crop of patrons who've just come through on one heat minute productions patreon um we're now just over 50 which is nothing to sneeze at i'm really proud and i promise i just want to shout out to here for you guys as a further incentive if we get to 100 i'll announce what the next minute by minute podcast is happening um on the show i am not announcing it and not committing to it until we get to that so i'm just letting you guys know that right up front but the blessing of rum and rant or this morning an early morning in sydney roast and rant is that i get to just talk about all the other movies that while i could totally dedicate a minute by minute podcast to them sometimes i just don't have enough hours in the day so what i get is this little tiny aperitif for you this beautiful entree and i bring on great people to talk about something that i want to talk about this man i've spoken to on we had one big great conversation um but then was interspersed through the Josie and the podcast series with the awesome host and bff maria lewis um steering the ship he's the creative director of Mondo Music and Death Waltz Recording Co. He's also an enabler, the best kind of enabler, who, when you say, man, in Australia, it sucks. I can't get this new Leica DVD. I can't get this Paranorman making of book. I can't get this gorgeous Mondo vinyl altogether. And then like someone slides into your DMs in the best possible way, in the least creepy way possible, in fact. And they say, man, I got you. Like just, you know, We'll work it out. Send me the cash. I'll make this happen. That is Mo Shafiq. Mo, thank you so much for coming on to a, a rum and rant and having a chat. Oh my God. Thank you so much for such a lovely introduction. You know what? Honestly, it happens so infrequently that my interests align with others. And I don't mean that in like a very general, obviously Josie was a big one. That's why we were fast friends and same with Maria, but with Paranorman, it's so infrequent that anyone brings it up that it is like a spotlight, <laughs> like a bat signal into the sky that I can see anybody or sniff it out that anyone's a fan. And I'm just like, I want to quick to help. Look, so let's, let's quickly just before, I mean, I can't imagine that people listening don't know too much about it, but essentially back in 2012, 2012 was a funny year. It was a year of two massive animation horror animation movies. The first one was Tim Burton 
doing Frankenweenie, like turning yeah, that into the, a feature length. The full length thing. one. Yeah. The full length one. And so, which is a delight. Totally great. I remember there was a lot of buzz of Frankenweenie in the year and it's such a cute story and you should see it. But, Leica Studios, Chris Butler and Sam Fell were the directors and Chris Butler was the co-writer back in 2012. Made a movie about a little boy who lives in a town and he's isolated and alone and a bit of a geek uh, and in fact a massive horror movie geek uh, and his favorite viewing partner for horror movies is his dead grandmother who lives in his house his name's Norman and he can see ghosts and zombies and ultimately what he finds out is that there has been a curse on his town and Mr. Prendergast who's a, a distant relative of his voiced by John Goodman um, has been has has been uh, helping that curse be suppressed for some time. And when he passes away, the burden goes to Norman. And rather than just picking up the mantle because of a couple of hap, um, mishaps that ha- happen along the way, he then has to find out what the actual origins of this curse are, which goes all the way back to sort of the Salem-esque witch trials in his town. And I just have to say, like... This movie completely blew me away. Like, I remember a lot of friends are talking about Frank and me. I'm like, no, there is actually Paranorman. This thing is like, from the moment I saw it, I was like, this is, this is like Miziaki level, Amer- finally, American, uh, American mainstream animation. And like, while Pixar had been so dominant, I was like, and, and really hitting those heights. I'm like, no, this is, this is a new successor. This is something different. It's going for something even more ambitious. And I, I just adored it from the second I saw it. When you saw it, what was that reaction? You know, I had a, I had a different entry point to that because I, you know, I was, a, I was a huge Tim Burton fan too. And I remember um, it sort of aligning my interest to finally see that brought to the screen. But um <clears throat> I had I had just started at Mondo maybe about six months before this film got announced, and we were we were like, uh, for those who don't know, Mondo is Mondo's a, 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 a American uh, pop culture collectibles and music and poster company. But back then we were just the poster company. Even before I was doing music, we kind of hit this zeitgeist of of uh, studios seeing the appeal of alternative key art you know if you've ever googled mondo poster you'll see this but you know like it started in you know we started doing it in 2008 2009 mostly in texas but like as the, the studios caught wind of all these you know ain't it cool alamo draft house type of screening events with fans like they really wanted a slice of what mondo was offering and that aligned with like a second film uh you know we had everyone had seen Coraline and Coraline sort of was huge in america it was a huge deal yeah, i huge saw it in theaters amazing it's a, it's a masterpiece too but the the follow-up film you know it took them three years to to do it i believe it was uh 2009 was was Coraline. um it, they they reached out to us and they were like hey we're doing this new movie we want your help doing some of the marketing and so there's a lot of like uh technically they're considered mondo posters but they're not uh that we did like alternative art that was like on billboards in LA that were just sort of, I forgot what the, the, the tagline was. I think it was like weird is like, you know, weird is good or weird is cool or something <laughs> like that. Like, you know, uh, 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 weird wins or something. I can't remember what it is now. I should, I should have had that prepared, but I'm actually, all this stuff is sort of just flooding back into my brain because I, I, I this is almost, this is a decade ago. Uh, so we got to see it a little bit in advance. Because they were like, look, Mondo's all on. We we actually special requested Mondo. 
uh, they snuck in Mondo references into the movie. And that's what I, I if you heard a, maybe two and a half minutes ago, something falling while during the recording. It's because I remember that I have this thing, this Mondo sip. Oh from the film that we actually we made some just for fun for a advanced screening of the film because they called it this and there were like a bunch of fake movie posters in the movie and like they gave our our then creative director uh, a bunch of like the, the like the the zombie slippers and the 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 paranormal foam posits like there was like a lot of gifting and like nerdy nerding out between us and Leica and we are still very good friends with Leica uh, to this day because of that whole process and um, and I gotten to tour their studio multiple times they've shown us movies in advance like I got to see a missing link like two years before it came out um, <laughs> like all these things and like all because of Paranorman but I will say that n- no movie since Paranorman in the American animation sector has done it for me the same way that this movie is and you say it's a masterpiece I full stop agree with you it is a movie that 10 years since I think about all the time every season I think it's a perfect movie and I think that it is like one of the it's one of the undersung and under discussed American animation films of of our generation yeah so many animation films have the burden of some form of I don't know, like, there is some form of moral, you know, in the true sense of a fairy tale, there's some sense of moral responsibility that at the end, there's going to be a lesson. And I think what absolutely, completely floors me um, for Paranorman and then later Kubo in the Two Strings, which is probably like the, the most that it's ever chased the dragon since for me, <laughs> like right, you know, right, right. Paranorman and then Cuba. But I just remember Norman and watching um, this little boy confront this curse. And at the end of it, it being a dialogue about letting go and about finding peace in refusing to let the hate that you have or the hate that has been like thrown at you, like stay alive. And I just remember, I still watched, I watched it as soon as, thanks to Mo's unbelievable care package, which instigated this chat, I watched it Paranorman again on brand new Leica Blu-ray. And I just was like, I can't believe they made, I can't believe they made this happen. I can't believe that the, the Nexus, the, this huge, like hilarious and heartfelt sort of funny, like gang of misfits their own like kind of scooby gang that's in this movie featuring norman and his sister and his best friend um neil and <laughs> neil's brother i mean voiced by casey affleck i mean there's just so many we'll talk about the voice cast soon but just so many yeah. great great people of this little scooby gang and then hitting this moment where you've got the the witch at the center of this curse which turns out to be a little girl named agatha which is just like norman um, that was persecuted for being different and just watching him confront her and watching these two people help find a way to be to, a way to find like peace in the world and peace in the afterlife and peace just with who you are. And I just was like, I, it, and it's, it's done in this epic, you know, spirited away maximalist, you know, way at the end of the movie, but I just, I will never get over it. And I'm not even talking about, the uh, Neil's like most hilarious Leatherface, uh, sorry, Jason <laughs> slash Leatherface um, introduction as his best mate standing in his backyard or, or any of the like outstanding other tidbits that are in this movie. But that ending, it, it, 
it's as good as endings get. Like I just don't, I, I just don't, under, I, I can't, you can't devalue how good it is. Well, yeah, because it, it's, it's, you're right that like, you know, in a Pixar world, in a Disney world, there's, there's a lot of, um, uh, emphasis on, you know, sort of a, a very neat and tidy structure. But the thing about like, Leica coming into the animation space was that they, they had this, because of Coraline, they sort of, I think, unf- unfairly got pigeonholed into a little bit of a horror niche. They leaned into it with Paranorman, and I think that was sort of their their cross to bear moving forward, especially with, like, Missing Link coming out. I could tell that no one really wanted to see what a lighthearted Leica movie was or a <laughs> comedy was. But, like, Paranorman isn't, like, a horror movie, you know? It's nah. not. In fact, if anything, it's, like, an anti-bullying tale, but also, <laughs> like, and, like, in a very in a very traditional way, but just done a little bit more abstractly. And, you know, from the opening beats when they like that that synth score of the fake horror movie and zombies eating brains, like it really feels like a little like, you know, a little a little horror film. But then it switches back to like John Bryan's beautiful twinkling, you know, score. And it's like it's a it's a beautiful, romantic, lush, just tender film about an outcast, which, you know, by American standards is a kid who loves horror movies, which is like, you know, like. Oh, you know, there are worse things in the world, certainly. <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of there's some queer coding stuff happening in the film as well as well. There's also a lot of just, you know, obvious uh, allegories that can be made. But I I'm like you where when I was watching it the very first time, you know, you see the the zombies pop their hands out of the out of the, the graves. They start going to the town and like seemingly chasing after Norman and his and his friends. And then the minute you realize that the like the mob is actually the bad guy it's such a chef's kiss like pivot and it's not even a twist but it is just sort of it it, it, you don't see it coming when you see it the first time you just realize that oh the movie has been leading you it very delicately into a corner and you don't realize that it then painted you into that corner now you have to confront the the what's honestly a very pertinent allegory to this day about how quickly the bullied can become the bullies and like you don't even realize how quickly that line can be crossed and you know especially on places like twitter these days it's still a very very similar conversation that can be had but for a film in 2012 to address that especially since it was coming on the heels of what at least in america i don't know what it was like over there there was a lot of like emphasis on bullying in the news uh it never felt very like reductive and finger waggy like a lot of news stories here in america were which is just like all bullies are bad bullying you know is whatever in the same way the school system treated it that way this film had this very honest conversation that like it's really up to you to decide how you want to carry that weight you can be the person who takes it with you and recycles it and turns you into the bad guy in a long (laughs) way or you can learn to accept that there's always going to be bad in this world and you have to be able to move forward and let go and forgive and you know i don't know it's it's a really beautiful story and you know i can't i don't know how it plays for kids but as an adult i was just weeping the whole time you know i I have tried to play it for my daughter, who's five, a couple of times, just because there are literally only so many times you can watch Polly Pocket, and no, and with all due respect um, to Polly Pocket um, and or Dougie or whatever the other shows that are currently in circulation, I'll throw it on occasionally. And there's a lot of like perplex, but I know that it's there. Like I can see that 
they've got the same beats of like a great Pixar movie. So like it, it inflames curiosity. Like, so you can sort of see that, but you were just talking about bullying. And, and I remember Lee Hirsch did a documentary released in 2011 called actually called bully. And, um, I remember interviewing him way back then I was doing reviews and stuff like that as I was. Um, and I remember interviewing him around that movie. And so it's funny that you'd say that, but I also love just the incisive and very kind of philosophical take on bullying that like it's rooted in fear. Yeah. And they paint it so beautifully in this because it's like the metaphor stands for itself. Like zombies at least look scary. And my favorite thing in this movie is these five or six panicked zombies who are so <laughs> scared of like real people. Like they walk into this town and they see people coming out of dive bars and they see, you know, someone doing graffiti and then they see uh, Norman's uh, drama teacher, She's got an avocado mask on her face. So she's kind of like looks like a, a zombie <laughs> and a cast on her arm um, and just wearing like a really ruddy nighty. Um, they're all terrified of, yeah. of, of them. And I just love that. that they're, exactly. As you said, when it paints you in the corner, it dawns on you that like, there's this complete shift, like, Oh my God. And yes, now the movie's a mob, like a mob mentality movie. And I think like, the most classic instances of horror, like even, you know, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, like got asked that question, that foundational question. It's like, what's more scary? Like this supposed abomination that's like yearning for humanity or the thing that comes from the town with the pitchforks and the torches and wants to burn it um, because they're probably, you know, equally scary things in the context of everything that's going on. But, um, I, you also mentioned Lush before, and in so many movies, like it's it's so many movies, it's a cliche, and then now it feels like a bit of a like a callback or a, like a little bit of a stylistic flourish. You usually see the main character. Sometimes it's done as like a post. You can almost feel like parts of like um, Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza has this, where like the camera swirls around when a character's in love or a character's met their love interest and a camera swirls around, it feels like the, the lights in the world have turned on. And what's so beautiful is like at the beginning of this movie, Paranorman, like Norman's walking down the street, town looks ruddy, doesn't, he looks a bit messy. He's on, he's, he's a lower socioeconomic kid. You know, he doesn't live in the, in a really super nice house on a super nice street. And the camera does this same big, beautiful, like fake pan around him. And when, you see the way he sees the world. It's alive. Like it's, it's lots of dead people. It's funny dogs. It's, you know, Amelia Earhart, it seems like hanging from a tree. <laughs> hanging it's from a, the tree. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, it's a mobster that's got uh, concrete boots on walking down the street. And it's just, <laughs> it, the whole world comes alive and it's not because it's about love. It's all this death, but it's got this like, I don't know. It's like, this is the color of the world. This is the things that inform who we are and and it's funny that he's got this access to it because at no point do you ever really feel like obviously there are moments where there it's intentionally um especially with Prendergast it's feeling like oh my god ghosts are speaking directly to me and they're instructing me to do something and they're handing over a burden and so it's all kind of crazy but it never feels like his gift is bad and I think that that's that's such a nice subversion of like, if you could hear ghosts, you've been tortured. And I think in a post sixth sense world, you kind of have to, you kind of have to go, all right, how are we going to do this differently? Cause it's already kind of been done as good as it's going to be done. In, yeah. In it's always everyone else's problem. Right. That's like, that's the whole, that's the whole thing about it. Right? It's not his problem. He, he feels burdened by it. 
only because other people make him feel burdened by it, which is a huge distinction. And it's definitely not, you know, like in a perfect world, like his family would agree with him and see him. His grandmother is there in the room with him and loves him dearly. And he gets that support. He never doubts it. He doesn't think like, oh, I'm going crazy. It's just like, they just don't see the world the same way that I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, his grandma's just asking, so what's happening now? That's all. It's just, you know, what's happening now in the movie, Norman? <laughs> it's just exactly as you did. <laughs> what's happening now? Ah, uh, zombie. He's eating a brain. Well, why do they do that? Well, it's a zombie, Grandma. That's what they do. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so great. Um, I want to talk about the voice cast in this too before we talk too much about it, which is um, Anna Kendrick plays Courtney, who's Norman's sister. Cody Smith-McVie, Aussie. Um, currently uh, looking like an Academy Award nominee front runner, oh, which is absolutely stunner. He, there's no way he doesn't get nominated. Like um, everyone's getting a nominated from that movie. Yeah, and if Jane Campion doesn't, there's going to be a fight oh. in the street. There's going to be a <laughs> fight. In the street. Speaking from the uh, the film society that I did, Power of the Dog swept, and uh, if if she's not nominated, ugh, I mean, crazy. Uh, but so the the sort of key Scooby Gang of this movie, firstly, is Cody Smith McPhee's Norman. His sister, um, Courtney, played by Anna Kendrick. Alvin, who's a bully at his school, which then sort of like turns into a fast friend, um, voiced by Christopher Mintz Plaza, which is just awesome. Nice little subversion of a bully. Um, Tucker Albrizi plays Neil, who is just the cutest, most adorable, legendary best friend you've ever seen in anything. Um, the and- best. Oh, God. that Like, what a tender performance. Like, what a sweet little, like... I have no idea what the actor looks like compared to his performance in the film, but like it is one of those like I only hear I that voice matches that personality so much. Yeah, well, he actually Tucker Breezy like Albreezy rather looks kind of like his character. Like he kind of looks like Neil, but like older, and like it's weird because you're looking like he's the only one that really looks like himself. And then Casey Affleck plays Mitch, who is Neil's older brother, a big swole. Uh, um, uh, you know, sort of triangular shaped jock um, and and just playing such a sweet dullard, like just this little yeah. sweet. <laughs> and their whole relationship is just totally like this, this little, you know, quintet um, completely makes the movie. And like Anna Kendrick's highly strung and she's just fantastic. And Neil is like super supportive and Alvin's always doing dodgy stuff and cutting corners. Um, and Casey Affleck's just a big himbo. And it's just, their whole relationship too, um, they never feel like any of them are truly supporting Norman to get to the end of the curse. They're always like, it's Courtney's picking at him for getting him in the, into this. Neil's kind of silly and he wants to help Norman out, but he always messes it up. He's just like, he's like, is this where the dog is? <laughs> he's like trying to, <laughs> wants to see Ghost too to make his friend feel valued and like not different. And it's just such a sweet, I, I the chemistry of that, that quintet is just everything. I just completely love it. I love it so much too. And the character models are also great too. Like, like you said, the, the triangular himbo is so perfect <laughs> for uh, Casey Affleck's character, but Anna Kendrick's like weird, like pink velour jumpsuit <laughs> with like, you know, and uh, yeah, there's just like so much about it that just is so interesting. And also the Norman's parents being this weird, like their proportions are also mirrored in Anna Kendrick's characters. Like they, like they, they make them feel like the actual children of those parents. It's very, because Jeff Garland do the, the Jeff, dad. Jeff Garland is Perry and Leslie Mann. Leslie Mann is just, you know, like literally you can put her into anything and she's fantastic. But Jeff Garland is so funny because as you said, um, 
it's not kind of until the deeply satisfying endings of this movie that they kind of just accept Norman's gifts. And his dad is just so burdened by like every single thing that Norman says. He's like, stop being different. Like he's so mad. And like, it's just Jeff Garland peak, like getting angry. It's just wonderful. And Leslie Mann's always like trying to, to calm him down. But yeah, he does feel like that's the other thing about even the character modeling on Norman. He doesn't feel quite like his family. He does. But he doesn't. And I think that that's the other, just the most subtle thing of like making him feel like he could be slightly different, making him feel like, you know, the sh- his body shape is slightly different um, than those other characters. And yeah, I just, I, I really, really like, um, I really like just that slight touch because obviously once we get to the end of the movie and we meet Agatha, Aggie, um, and you see that the Prendergast, you know, part of their family that John Goodman sort of comes from um, and you see her and you see her shape. Like they look like twins. They look like they could be twins across time. Yeah. And, um, and so when you see that, it's like that kinship is just reinforced. And I think that that's just them playing like her. And, and obviously the filmmakers playing to, you know, ultimately someday they're hoping that slightly older kids are going to, not just the adults are going to be weeping at this movie. So they're just like playing <laughs> with some visual tricks to be like, here's some mirroring. So you understand what we're really trying to say here. Yeah, I think it, to some degree what Leica did with this movie, it, I feel like the Coraline was such a transcendent experience for a lot of people, like kids and adults alike. And it, it, it came off the tail of Nightmare Before Christmas because of Henry Selleck, right? But like Paranorman, like because of Frankenweenie in a way, I feel like it undervalued how hard it was to make this movie or make these kinds of movies. And they've never been able to really show how hard it is. And, and I've, I've since obviously seen every one and, and I, I like them all on their own merits. Like you said, Kubo is the next, the next favorite after this one. But um, I, after having gone to Leica's studios to see how much attention to detail goes into all this stuff and like seeing them actually making a movie, I was like, oh my God, like, I will never see these movies again the same way. And then I started to wonder, like, oh, is that the reason I like these movies so much? And that certainly colors Missing Link and maybe Box Trolls a little bit. But, like, I remove all of that, and Paranorman still works as this, like, like top-to-bottom transcendent experience as far as just being, like, the the process shouldn't actually dictate how much you appreciate it. But it certainly helps. But this one in particular, like if you put somebody, you know, made them watch a Pixar movie, a Leica movie and a Disney Animation Studios movie or a DreamWorks movie like these, this would be neck and neck with the best Pixar, in my opinion, as far as like character models, the designs, the storylines, the story beats, the like execution and feeling like not a wasted frame on screen, um, but also just like the willingness to go goofy and big and not feel like super rigid and serious, like character model. Like I remember seeing someone call out in Incredibles two, how refreshing it was to see like, um, I'm spacing on the character's name, but the, the, the daughter in the Violet, Violet, like when she sees her crush, like, and then milk spills out of her nose, like her character model does like bug eyes for a second. And like, you know, (laughs) 
that's not like something like today you wouldn't do that in like you know you wouldn't get that looney tunesy but like brad bird was willing to like get a little goofy in that movie but even if just for a couple of frames her eyes grow like to twice its size and like the milk shoots out of her nose and like that's the beauty of this movie too this movie is incredibly goofy um as much as again it has like ghosts floating around like the whole scene where norman gets trapped in the room with the corpse and his tongue rolls out and, it and all those in the fa- oh it's so good <laughs> so tactile it's awesome i know there's so much attention to detail uh and then if you ever see these things in person oh my god oh my god they're so beautiful um obviously i would say like you know if you live in this country it's a hop skip and a jump away there's always a museum touring i hope that they get to take the museum outside of the country for a change but i've I've been lucky enough to see a couple of full sets and they are just stunning like it, the amount of work that goes into these movies is yeah, so it was absurd that, it was that weird thing of you know for a while there it was like Ardman were the big ones you know the wallace and gromit series and um uh, Nick Park, obviously, and I think about when you said about the craft, there's a scene in, and I'm just struggling to remember it was in the show, one of the movies, where Gromit is racing around uh, Wallace's house and he's putting the tracks to a train out in front of him to steer himself around the house. And you can just find it on YouTube. I will even link it in the in the Patreon notes here so you guys can check it out. And every time I see it, I go, this is a masterpiece. Like it's like one of the best action set pieces you've ever seen committed to screen because it's literally someone moving a toy, like get an action figure and do a stop motion. We've all got apps we can get on our phones for like nothing, but just try and do a stop motion and watch the, the fluidity and the way that Gromit's gorgeous ears are like flowing in the fake breeze that doesn't exist. And so it's like Aardman and then Laika. And then for a little while, even the great Wes Anderson, you know, he, he does the fantastic Mr. Fox and people are like, yeah, you know, obviously such a marriage of. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everything that he he needs for visual composition, you know, such a guy is all about visual compositions and tones and textures, and he, he can maximize, uh, maximize his opportunities to manipulate mood and tone in that way. But then... You've got every freaking character in that movie that has their own unique models, their own weird 
outstretched or scrunched up or whatever the case may be disgusting characters as well i love that how they, they you know this and fox both embrace the disgusting characters and it's just you're moving every single gesture every single hair every single you know snarl like it's multiple facial things happening at the same time it's i'm always so impressed because it is there is a ridiculous amount of um there's a ridiculous amount of craft and and i like when that tongue hits norman's face and prendergast corpse when he hits his face i'm like that is so gorgeous and i think also the other thing is they really optimize and do what like in 1993 Jurassic Park could still do which is like you needed you needed a gigantic dinosaur monster that was big enough for people to interact with and then augment it with other special effects so that like it's the perfect marriage of you know physical tactile you know real shooting on sets and then just like cleaning up you know there's a wire or there's a guy holding his hand with a velociraptor you know moving that guy out <laughs> yeah. of the frame and i and so i think that 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 effortlessness makes people just like uh eh. And then you go, no, it's puppets, guys. Like it's it's little tiny puppets, essentially. Um, and yeah, so that's the other thing I think that resonates for me is when you see craft, like craft on display in the best possible way. I think it does. I think it implicitly imprints on you because it's not, it's not, this is not normal. Like when you watch Wallace and Gromit, I think now there's probably some digital effects that those guys can use to make a virtual reality version of what those characters are, but like, there's nothing like seeing the original clay. Like there's nothing like it. Well, yeah. I mean, there's been long standing rumors that they're going to do a Paranorman TV show. <gasps> Have I, I don't, I don't know. If that's oh, I didn't know. Just no. heard. Oh, that also might be something I'm not supposed to share or, <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll confirm that with you. You can cut that out or not. But, uh, but when, when I heard that, I was like, well, certainly they can't animate it the same way because there's no way for television episodes they can certainly do it like that that would literally take them years and years and years every one of these movies takes them like two and a half years to do because they i think the math that i heard was like on a good day you get like per set like four to six seconds you know, a day and like, so in a good week, if you're shooting multiple sets in a good week accumulated, you get like a minute, you know, like a minute or a minute and a half of footage. And so you're like, okay, there's 90 weeks. <laughs> that's nearly, yeah, two, you know, that's, nearly like, two, that's nearly two years without a single visual effect. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, they're, they're putting them together at the same time, you know, like they're editing it all in real time and there's probably people who are cleaning it up and process in the back end, like every, every day. So it's not just like, but the actual photography, you know, and these movies are, yeah, like 80. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's pretty, it's, it's so labor intensive. So yeah, there's no way if they were to make an animated series that they'd be able to do it that way. Instead it would emulate it, right? It would probably be just CG, not to diminish that process. I know that's also a very labor intensive process, but the idea of doing that, but like with a certain kind of filter on it to make it feel kind of like that same universe, but nothing, nothing would match the actual imperfection of the animation of something like stop motion. It's just, it, it can't be, it can't be replicated. And that's why it's, it's unfortunate that people don't, don't really, I don't know. I, I wish that, a Leica film had one best animated at least one year so that like 
they weren't just chasing it still that they like instead were just sort of okay we did it we can make it now we are in canonized in that world like should have been Coraline but people didn't know that 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 would be the biggest one they ever did and Paranorman for my money is my favorite like a movie I wish that was even had a chance but Disney just sort of holds the throne and people just take for granted the like how much work goes on these things in general and uh you know i guess that's that's part of everything you know i forget that there's movies that come out these days with practical effects and you watch them and you're like oh my god like, i just watched little shop of horrors for the first time the other day. <laughs> great and movie. like the puppet for audrey 2 is like a miracle yeah it's like an a- absolute <laughs> miracle and like if you remade that today, there's no way in the world that they would ever attempt to do that as a puppet, right? Like it just, it wouldn't ever get made that way. But at the same time, like I would argue that 25 to 30% of my enjoyment of that movie is the puppet in Little Shop of Horrors. Well, it's like the thing, like Carpenter's the thing. Um, the fact, the real practical effects there are the thing, oh, sorry, are the actual element that makes you marvel. You're like, oh my God, like it's all so tactile and gross and things happening on screen. And I mean, forgive like literally every other alien and and predator film since, but it's like when you took really tall guys out of those suits that could like jump onto Bill Paxton, I, it just didn't, didn't work anymore. Like it just, like there's something fundamental. You made it a CG thing it never even came close. Like that guy who is dressed in that predator suit, like picking up Arnold Schwarzenegger in the forest and, and like whether they had to use a rope or something, because I imagine the Schwarzenegger was <laughs> giant too, but like there's just nothing like watching that imposing size, watching that tactile, watching that Stan Winston puppetry of the mouth. And I mean, it's insane. And even the, the 2011 thing remake, which isn't, as bad as people remember, like it's totally yeah. fine um, with Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Joel Edgerton. There's a version of that movie where they were using all practical effects and then they I've abandoned it. And I'm like, I, I think about it all the time. I'm like, oh my God, why? What are you doing? Yeah. I guess they just, they, I've heard that same story and I don't know exactly what it was, but that was their big pitch. They were like, we're going back to practical. And then they just, they pivoted, but they, they, they balked at it, I think. Yeah. To go back to Alien for a second, it is just like, I remember, like, I like Covenant, but like, I remember the big, like, money shot of that movie in the trailers and in the marketing was that shot of the alien, like, on the roof of the ship, just like yelling or screaming. And like, like, that being, you feeling that that is as effective as a man in a rubber suit is to me the difference between what I want out of a movie and what I guess what (laughs) studios want out of a movie, you know, like nothing. I look at that and go like, that's not real. But if you had a man in a suit doing that, I'd be like, that's real. (laughs) I, 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 I I mean, it's the other reason why, you know, very this year, uh, I mean, it feels like mission impossible is a little bit in my brain. I've been talking to the boys at like the fuse who I love. They do a great show all about mission. And, um, and obviously great soundtracks that are all Mondo pressings, <laughs> which, are, which are, I must acquire. Um, but the, the coolest thing, you know, the, the thing that can't be dismissed is, and I've crapped on it so much, but I'm just, I can continue to go on record. It's like, I watch, when I watched Rogue Nation and you see Tom Cruise on the side of that plane, I was like, oh shit, like, this guy's insane, like more insane than we've ever thought that he was. He's like ready to die for us on the biggest possible canvas. And so 
it's so damn thrilling. And even in No Time to Die this, uh, you know, uh, last year rather, I just loved seeing, you know, actual locations. I love seeing cars, uh, just just a car flip. I, I wanted to, a car run off the road in Norway, bring it. A car yeah. like winch being dragged into a forest and a car flipping over, like just real practical effects, really cool stunts, really great stuff. And then you see something like Red Notice, which I've absolutely shellacked online. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, there is not, this is all in an Atlanta studio with crappy digital lighting. They're pasting scenes together. Someone's acting in freaking Israel and someone's acting in Toronto and then they're just stitching footage back together. It's just the whole augmented reality of it all. I'm like, none of this, it's, you're never going to hit the peak of like a Mad Max Fury Road or a Mission Impossible Fallout where Tom Cruise is literally riding around the Arc de Triomphe at like 80 miles an hour on a bike and his foot's touching cobblestones to keep himself balanced. You're just never going to do that. Uh, do anything that excites, genuinely excites a cinema audience, even if they can't quite articulate it, like doing it practically. And I think that that's all that touch of Paranorman is there's just a heightened level of everything. It's There's none of this you know, recycled backgrounds of the old Tex Avery Warner Brothers cartoon feel about <laughs> it. Like there's none of that. It's like yeah. everything is pitch perfect, designed within an inch of its life, you know, collaborating with you guys at Mondo, like everything, every poster, everything is just his whole bedroom, all of his little ephemera, everything is, you know, it's that tactile nature I think is so devalued and it's something that like, uh, for me, that's what makes movies rewatchable. Like if it's that level of care, that level of crazy, I love it. Yeah. The thing about Leica too that's interesting in a way in a weird way that I, I don't know if this is necessarily admirable as much as it is enviable, but like you do know you know what they what where they came from, right? It's like Phil Knight, the guy who started Nike, his son Travis had all that Nike money and was like, Dad, I wanna start a stop motion animation company. <laughs> and he did, you know? And so far they've made five movies. I would argue that two of them are like some of the best animated films of all time. I would say the other three are like all worth your time. None of them are bad. I and, have a real you know, soft spot for Missing Link. Yeah, Missing Link is fun. I think it, it, it's it's definitely the the outlier, and maybe over the years in in a larger canon of films, it will get more respect. But I think that after Kubo, I think everyone was hoping that they would have like a home run again, and it sadly had to be the movie after Kubo, right? Because everyone loved Kubo, but like in a perfect world they would have released 10 films by now but they're not they don't have the same engine the same thing as pixar as disney you know they can't release a movie a year uh the pandemic certainly hit them real hard they are an independent because everyone's phys everyone's physical everyone needs to yeah. be there you got a huge amount of people on set yeah in location you know and and i'm sure there's another movie on the horizon i feel like they've announced what their next movie is but i don't know when it's coming out um but when it uh you know when it does come out you know hopefully that that resurges interest but the thing of that other was getting about it being enviable is that like yeah you can only do that sort of thing if you are super rich and you have you are a cinephile right like in a perfect world <laughs> you know every like all these things that we're asking for and we're missing out of these movies are just going to come from somebody who's like i got millions of dollars to burn like i just want to get into movies to make movies the way i used to like them and not in the like the nostalgia porn kind of way but just sort of like yeah like i, I like let me give you know uh a bunch of money to some kid who loves making gory things and you know <laughs> make them have like a, like a proper 
horror space you know you know b-movie flick that like actually feels tactile the way that they used to or to make something like this right to, to to bring it back to that that old old school animation but you know i don't know there there's uh it's hard to like balance that nostalgia with business sense you know i i understand that from my side of things making things at mondo where you have to pay the bills too and if you can't then you know you no matter how much i how much creativity you have you can't make it work and so you know, I I wish there was a better situation for the for Travis because now he's he, he's directing movies. He directed Bumblebee, he directed um he's directing another movie, maybe another Transformers movie. I can't remember what his next thing on his on his plate is, but you know he's a great filmmaker on his own right, and he's a super talented dude. Um, I just you know, money certainly played a big role, but I wish that there was a world in which it wasn't only that like millionaire hobbyists could make things like this happen. But you know um, what? In defense of Travis Knight, I'm like, after all of the shitbag heirs to huge fortunes have squandered their wealth and their yeah. parents' wealth and been like awful people, he's like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to forge ahead in something equally seemingly ludicrous and drastically creative and make this thing. And you're like, yeah, man. That's good. Like, and, and his Bumblebee movie is a delight. It's yeah. A, oh, it's, it's so it's, fun. It, it's so fun. And it's, it's the only one that even kind of comes close to the, the warmth of that first Transformers movie. Um, but I would argue also that the lunacy, the Michael Bay lunacy of the <laughs> other Transformers movies, like his, his particular Transformers movies are all kind of fascinating you know um uh in their own right it, w whether they're enjoyable i mean some of them are bad but like that first trio <laughs> of transformers movies are like you know halo jumps and crazy stunts and stuff like you know even six underground with ryan reynolds is just totally rules compared to like so many other action movies i'm, I'm dying no, for ambulance too with jake gyllenhaal oh, so I'm dying for no nobody does it better than michael bay and I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of defender though i i couldn't i couldn't do the transformer sequel i saw the first <laughs> and second one but i was like I, I i think for my for my own like fandom and also like of this of this i'm just gonna just tap out here but you know there's certain things i just don't i'm not a fan of and with bumblebee in particular like i think that its weakest part to me is that like I don't like the Michael Bay character design of the Transformers. Yeah, they kind of are just like you know infinite like weird gears and tchotchkes, all different shades of gray buried underneath the shell of the car. And so like I've never really liked those. And so I think that was the only thing that bothered me. But but otherwise like what a super fun experience and so much more easy to grab hold of and coherent than you know the, <laughs> the the michael bay movies as far as like visual experiences they weren't like sensory overloads it's because it's a kid movie right yes i liked it a lot he gets that um but yeah i don't know the, we've gotten off topic a little bit but at the same time it's more just about like all of this sort of fractures i feel like after paranorman is not a step up for them like as a success after Coraline and I feel like they have been chasing that and it's such a shame because Paranorman should have been just as big of a hit and to bring it back to your very first statement this is the this is in the shadow of a Tim Burton renaissance that they were claiming it was going to be that would I would argue that that wasn't really the renaissance they hoped it would be it was a success but like they too were chasing this dragon of like, oh, we got to, you know, Burton back to basics, you know, like we're going back to the original, we're going back to the Vincent era, you know? Um, but it, 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 you know, then he followed, was big eyes right after that. And then, yeah. you know, he, he's, he's never really quite recovered from that. But the, the idea being that like overshadowed by, by Burton 
overshadowed by Coraline. This one gets forgotten, you know, like people don't really, and we're, we're on 10 years of it. And like, I don't see it on enough, you know, we just did our best of decade lists and like, I didn't see, I nary saw a Paranorman on there, but this <laughs> is, this was on there for me. You know, it's not, I'm not hyperbolizing. Like Paranorman is one of my top 10 favorite films of the decade of last year. You know, and 2012 in general was a really good year for movies, too. I remember that. Like, that was that was the year Looper came out. Uh, there was a couple of movies that year that I really, really enjoyed. And But, like, well, Norman did, it's, was, it's, like... It's a massive... 2012 movies is, is a massive year. It's the year that Avengers came out. It's the year that Perks of Being a Wallflower came out. Uh, Moonrise Kingdom was there for our Wes Anderson fans. Dark Knight Rises, Cloud Atlas, Francis Ha... Uh, Lincoln came out that year, Argo, uh, mm-hmm. Zero Dark Thirty, Killing Them Softly, Django. There's just like um, um, the terrible Alex Cross movie with Tyler Perry. Um, and, <laughs> the you know, amazing Jack Reacher <laughs> movie with Tom Cruise. I love that movie so much. <laughs> I, I, I love it so much. Sinister came out that year, which I know that you're a fan of too. Like Sinister completely rules. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's 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 it was a it's um an incredible year and but. Back to Paranorman. I don't think it's, you know, a- animation films. And this year it's the most, uh, the most egregious and infuriating in some ways, because like the one film that I don't want to see get forgotten this year, because I'm so, I was, uh, especially when it comes to awards, it was last year's movie, but Mitchell's versus the machines is a outlandishly great uh, yeah. film. And it is so amazing. And, Every other animation that I saw this year was simply okay compared yeah. to it. It you know I was like yeah this is good it's fun it's whatever, um, and I think Encanto came came is coming hot on its heels is probably the the big one which is yeah very 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 good and and speaking to the amount of play it's had in my house um, my kids absolutely <laughs> love that freaking movie um, but uh, I I remember seeing Paranorman and you know, really relishing Frank and Winnie and genuine thing is one of the best things that Tim Burton has done in this since 2000. It's one of the best things he's done. Um, but all that said, I, every single person I've introduced to Par- Paranorman adore it. Like, mm-hmm. like they may not have seen it, but like the, the, the reaction is almost universally the same. They see it and they're like, Oh, this is wonderful. Oh, this is hilarious. Oh, this is great. And you're like, why didn't I see this? I'm like, exactly. That's exactly what I have to say to you. Exactly. Why haven't you seen this? I don't know. It, they, it just didn't have a splash at the time. And then obviously Laika being smaller, they're getting distribution from other partners. I think Universal do them in Australia and uh, mm-hmm. you know around the world and things like that. But they don't have their own engine, their own streaming service, their own thing that they can just constantly re-promote it and do that sort of stuff. And um, but it's nice now, at least that they're kind of, uh, maybe taking a leaf out of Travis's dad's, uh, uh, playbook in that, like they're doing their own Blu-ray releases and they're doing way more of their own merch and way more of their own stuff. Cause I remember always going like, I would love to like infiltrate my kids by buying paranormal toys. Like I really yeah. wanted like, re- <laughs> you can't find them, but they're ridiculous on <laughs> Um, but, uh, like reasonably priced ones or like even Kubo. Cause then you can be like, here play with this and then you can watch the movie um because also the other thing that is about kubo it's scary as hell as well in some parts of yeah, kubo it's yeah. not not quite for little kids but um yeah it's it's that it's that perfect sweet spot for me it's that uh, of it's that perfect sweet spot of enough and i think like my neighbor totoro does it as well which is like it's the sweet spot for kids where it's scary it's scary enough 
um, but it it can it can really hit them like it, it like that's my one of my kids' other favorite animated movies of all time is Totoro, and they just watch it. You know, they went went through a phase where they just watched it all the time, and I remember these big moments and himself he's sometimes really scary and you know mm-hmm. late night things kids running around in the rain being alone you know the little um the little uh, uh uh soot gremlins and stuff like that and they just loved it like love the ride of the movie and i i think that that has an imprint you know that's such a sweet and beautiful story and it has like an imprint on them that i think is lasting and they both deeply love it my little ones and i love it too it's my by far my favorite um and but i look at that and i look at paranormal and i'm like they're this there's almost singing from the same songbook like it's just a different it's it's they've got the same peril and this and the same morality and the same lessons that need to be learned and and it's yeah. it's it's really beautiful yeah i i i can't say enough positive things about the movie i just hopefully it'll it'll its legacy will live on if if they get to do more films, if they get to do a TV series, if they get to do other things. You know, th- today it's all about IP. You know, it's all about like brand, you know, building and, you know, in order to have that sort of legacy. But, you know, because uh, the, the world of cinephiles is, as you mentioned, only as successful as how accessible your movies are these days with streaming and stuff like that. Like if this if i could set, tell you right now that this was oh hey it's it's streaming on netflix like you may see a bump in people talking about it but like that's how it works here in america right like sometimes it'll be people like i'll see that back to the future is trending on on twitter and i'm like oh is it the anniversary it's like no it's just that it's on netflix and like a whole generation of people are discovering it and you go like i thought everyone had already discovered this movie that there's no <laughs> possible person in the world who hasn't discovered it but nope there's always people who can discover it and you know that's the best you can hope for at the very least like the you can say that unlike with CGI or with computer animation effects or even 2D animation effects, like nothing will be dated about the way this movie looks in 20 years. This movie will still look amazing. Yeah. You know, like th- that's the, there's nothing about it. It's not like, Oh, the photography got better. It's like, no, that's not how it works. No. Like it's going to look exactly the same and immaculate and not in a time capsule kind of way, you know, it's going to look incredible for years to come and not feel like, Oh, that's like the first toy story. Like that's a little janky, you know, like, you know, this movie, it, it'll always look good. So hopefully it'll, it'll, you know, find an audience. And I'm not saying this movie was an out and out bomb. I think it, it did well, but it, it was, it still is undervalued as far as, uh, as far as like the canon of, of animation. And that is because the legacy of the Academy is very, very Disney focused. And your concerns about Mitchell's versus the machines is very founded. I am completely certain that Encanto is going to win, you know, like, and it's not, and it has nothing to do with merit. It is just that that movie, because if that soundtrack didn't become so ubiquitous in the last month or two, I guarantee you that no, because that movie didn't really perform in theaters. And like, I love the movie, but like, I would argue that like, no one would probably tell you that that was their favorite movie, animated movie of the year, but every parent who is probably on the voting academy has had to listen to that movie so it's definitely the has most had to, known has movie. had to talk about bruno and we yes they have we, you're really not supposed wanted, to we really wanted to talk about <laughs> mitchell's versus machines please yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so you know and and you know then i then i similarly feel that same concern for mitchell versus the machines because even more so that movie is landlocked onto netflix yeah you know here in the states anyway right like 
There may be Blu-ray releases of it, but like that movie didn't get a theatrical play. No one got to have their experience like first time in theaters watching that, have a, like a historic like favorite time going to the movies as a kid the way that they should have, you know, like the way that I did or you probably did when you yeah. saw movies for the first time, like where you're just like, oh, I got to go see that again and like, you know, go to the movies and just talk about it with all your friends. Like it was all, it, you know, the pandemic obviously played a big part of that, but the idea of just being like, yeah, you probably watched that the same way you watched a rerun or, you know, watched an episode of The Office. You know, you just, <laughs> just sort of like, yeah, you just threw that on and it was fine. And I can't really speak to how kids today or even people today really absorb new favorite movies for the rest of their lives. I know that like when I like a movie, I buy it on Blu-ray. I can say that you're a compatriot <laughs> in that one. But like when you have it on Blu-ray, that means like that means I like it and this is in my library now. Like, is this movie in someone's library? Is this movie, like, going into the vault of, like, all-time greats? A lot of that would be helped if it got to be put on a best-of list, right? Hopefully it gets nominated. That'll certainly help. But sometimes if they don't win, they kind of just disappear, right? They kind of are just like, well, that was just one of the five movies that people, that animated movies. And you're like, these things took people five years to make these movies and it just gets discarded into the ash because it wasn't as good or it wasn't as memorable as the Lin-Manuel Miranda songs you know <laughs> they're earworms they're catchy well look I'm gonna I'm gonna say firstly thank you so much it's so awesome to see you it's so awesome to chat yeah. to you thank you so much for being a, a guardian angel on the other side of the world when I put up the paranormal <laughs> and that signal you were just there so I appreciate you um, but truly um, I wanted to talk about this with you because I love, 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 love this movie and I cannot recommend it highly enough. And there are brand new, if you're in the States and you're listening, there are brand new like it, Blu-rays that are very reasonably priced in the States to for you to get. Like instantly you can get it. They've got all brand new like Paranorman, Coraline, Kubo. They've got them all. So like you can totally check them out if you haven't seen them. Um, but yeah, I, I adore this movie on a level that... Um, makes me actually want to watch it again i've watched it like three times in two weeks i, I could totally watch it again um and I, I just think everything about it and everything about Leica is in this movie it's like all of that obsessive nerdy care um from that whole company is just i don't think it was ever as good as it was in this because Coraline existed you know Coraline existed as as a story that people were familiar with and could embrace and i think that that's a huge help for what was the launch pad of their career but my god paranorman and kubo that were just different. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mo, um, you're the best. Thank you for doing this. Um, looking forward to talking to you. Uh, we'll happily uh, chat to you anytime soon. I know you're uh, occupied talking about Matrix stuff at the moment a lot on podcasts, <laughs> which is good. Um, but is there anything else you want to plug uh, besides the great work that you already do at Mondo for the end of the show? Oh, um, nothing in particular. You know, I, uh, like I said, uh, we, I release new soundtracks on vinyl, uh, out of a U.S. based company called Mondo, mondoshop.com. If you, uh, like vinyl, if you like pop culture, check us out. We put out new records literally once a week. We are putting out, uh, everything from like Vinegar Syndrome, like releases like New York Ninja that we're doing this week to you know star wars and disney stuff like coco and uh up and you know mission impossible records as he as uh, as blake implied but also things like joseph and the pussycats uh our tastes are varied and that was actually one of the things we did very early on was establish ourselves as the same company that would release jay chataway's maniac score <laughs> a week after they released the soundtrack to paranorman so uh we take all kinds here but that's that's all i got from here 
You're the best. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. I'd love to come back anytime. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.